0: A so reading from Psalm 4, which is on page 485 of the Bibles. Answer me when I call God who vindicates me. You freed me from affliction. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long, exalted men, will my honour be insulted? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? Know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. On your bed, reflect in your heart and be still. Offer sacrifices in righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are saying, who can show us anything good? Look on us with favour, Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and new wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, Lord, make me live in safety.
1: The second reading is Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14, which is on page 1076 of the Bible's praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself according to his favour and will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he favoured us with in the beloved. We have redemption in him through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he planned in him, for the administration of the days of fulfillment, to bring everything together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. We have also received an inheritance in him, predestined according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in the Messiah might bring praise to his glory. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him, you were also sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance, for the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord.
2: So tonight we're continuing our focus on prayer and looking at a prayer of David in Psalm 4. So if you'd like to turn your Bibles back over to Psalm 4, um, it'd be great if you had that open in front of you. I'll just begin by praying. Dear Father, you are a good God and we thank you that you are with us tonight as we gather together to worship you. We thank you that You are close to us. You are near to us. Um, Thank you that uh, you are not a silent God. Thank you that you have spoken to us through your word and you do speak to us today through your words. We pray tonight as we open your word, as we read it, we pray that uh, you would be speaking to us, that your spirit would be at work within us, stirring in us faith in you and trust in you and deep joy in you. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I wonder if you know what it's like to have a restless night, one of those nights where you just lie awake for hours and you can't get to sleep, Uh, one of those nights where you're tossing and you're turning and then you toss and you turn some more, Uh, one of those nights when your, your mind is just racing, ticking ticking over, it won't shut down. Where One of those nights where you're, you're just staring at the ceiling, just replaying all the events of the day over and over again in your mind. Uh, I had a night like that a couple of months ago. I was just lying in bed and I was tossing and turning and couldn't get to sleep and I tried sleeping on my left side and I tried sleeping on my right side and then I got up and I watched some TV for a while and then I tried going back to bed and and i still couldn't get to sleep so i got up and i read a book for a while and i made a cup of tea and then tried to go back to bed again and then kind of in some point after 2 a.m i think i kind of finally drifted off to sleep uh the event that had had led to that particular restless night um, had been just a really tough conversation that i'd had that day it was just a really Really difficult conversation that had just left me feeling just really wounded and and, and hurt and frustrated. And my pride was wounded. And that's what gave me that restless night. Do you know what it's like to have a restless night like that? I'm sure that you do. What do you do on those restless nights? Did you notice the title of the psalm that we just read? Have a look. A night prayer. very possible that David wrote this psalm on one of those long, restless nights. I wonder what it was that was keeping David awake that night. I wonder what it was that was causing him to maybe toss and turn in his bed when he wrote this prayer down. He gives us a clue in verse 2. Have a look. He says, how long, exalted men, will my honor be insulted? So it seems like there's probably a group of people who are, who are unjustly slandering David. Uh, and those words, exalted men, suggest that they're probably people, these are people of high standing, these are people with influence and power, slandering David. Perhaps they were spreading rumors about him. Perhaps they were uh, maliciously trying to undermine him behind his back. Um, perhaps they weren't bothering to go behind his back. They were just just being rude and nasty to him to his face. Now, we don't know uh, why exactly these people might have been doing this. Different people have some different suggestions. Some people look at uh, the reference to uh, grain and wine down in verse 7, and they say, ah, this, this might mean that there was a f- uh, famine in the land. Uh, there was a drought and there was a famine, and these people weren't very happy with the way that King David was managing that, and that's the reason why they're slandering him. Um, other people point out that there's lots of similarities between Psalm 3 and Psalm 4. And so they say, well, that suggests that they're probably written together as a pair. And if that's the case, we know the context because Psalm 3 tells us. If you have a look, you can see there's a little superscript at the top of Psalm 3 that says, a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Uh, Now, you can read that story over in 2 Samuel. Uh, What had happened was that uh, over a number of years, David's son Absalom had been Uh, basically seeking to undermine him as king, trying to win over the hearts of the people and then eventually led a coup against King David and David had to um, flee from Jerusalem into the wilderness for a period of time. So perhaps it was one of those uh, situations. Perhaps it was something else entirely. But either way, there's, there's a group of people who are unjustly slandering David and so on one restless night, he cries out to God with this prayer. And in writing this prayer down for us, David is offering us a path that we can also follow on our own restless nights. And what David shows us is that in the midst of our restlessness, we can find rest when we know that God hears our calls to him and when we trust in him. So let's uh, go through the psalm uh, together. Have a look with me again at verses 1 and 2. Answer me when I call, God who vindicates me. You've freed me from affliction. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long, exalted men, will my honor be insulted? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? You You can just feel David's restlessness, can't you? answer me be gracious to me hear me how long how long there's just this sense of desperation and urgency and uh, frustration and weariness david's not holding anything in he's he's laying it all bare before god he's pouring out all of his hurt and his frustration and you know in doing this david is giving us a model for our own prayers good to know that we can be honest with God when we pray? Isn't it good to know that we can be blunt? Isn't it good to know that we don't have to hide any of our thoughts or our feelings from God? We don't have to present a a, a proper face, a proper facade to God? Isn't it good to know that that we can just pour it all out, raw and real? Um, Before I was at college, when I was working in, in the corporate world. I, I worked for a, a, a wonderful business. It was a wonderful business. Um, but, you know, there was an expectation of me as an employee that I would be engaged about the work I was doing, that I would come to work each day and be energized and excited about my job and about what we were doing, um, that I'd be enthusiastic. And the reality was, I, I, I often just didn't feel that way. And so what it, what it meant was that often I had to put on this this false mask of enthusiasm that was false. I remember my director um, would often walk past my desk and she'd always ask me, are you winning? I hated that question because l- there's only one uh, allowable response to that question, isn't there? But you know, I had a, a very close friend at work, her name was Cherie, and we'd often have lunch together or have a coffee together in the afternoon. And I just used to always find it so refreshing to catch up with her because when I caught up with her, I could just be honest. I could just be real about what was going on. And she just accepted me as I was in that moment, whether I was energized and happy, whether I was frustrated and grumpy. She, she, she took me as I was. She allowed me to just be real with her, and I felt like I could just share whatever was really going on with her. Isn't it good that the Psalms give us permission to be like that with God? When we're lying in bed, staring at the, ce- at the ceiling, tossing and turning, we can call out to God with all of our real and our raw emotions. We don't have to hide anything from Him. As the Psalm continues, uh, we see that the tone shifts Uh, And in the next few verses, David writes some words of counsel for us. Uh, Now, it might be that these uh, were words that David spoke to himself that night when he was lying in bed. Perhaps this was David's self-talk. Or perhaps when David uh, wrote this prayer down to be prayed by future generations of God's followers. Perhaps at that point, he included these words as his counsel to us. But either way... Um, What these next few verses offer us is some wise counsel for our restless nights. And there are two key words that I want us to take away from David's words of counsel. And the first one is, know. Know that God hears you. Know that God hears you. Have a look with me again at verse 3. Know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. I really believe that this verse is the crux of the psalm. David is saying to us, remember your identity. Know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, if your trust is in him, that means you are someone whom God has set apart. David's reminding us of this truth that long before you or I ever made a choice to turn to God, he chose us. That's what Paul was reminding us of in in our reading from Ephesians chapter 1. Even before the foundation of the world, God chose us in Christ to be holy and to be blameless in his sight. That means that before time began, before God formed the stars or the sun before He formed, the mountains or the oceans, God had you in His mind. And God had already decided that He would choose you and show you His love by giving His Son to die for you. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, that is your identity. That's who you are. You're someone whom the Lord has set apart for Himself. Now the problem is that when times are tough, when the trials come, and especially when we're under attack, when people are out to get us, very often we can, in those moments, forget our identity. We get uh, what I heard one person describe as identity amnesia. Identity amnesia. I had a friend who got amnesia once. Uh, He woke up in hospital with absolutely no memory of the last 24 hours. And I think for about 24 hours, he wasn't laying any new memories either. So literally, every five minutes in hospital, he'd be asking, where am I? What's going on? How did I get here? What's happening? Um, and, y- and he never actually got back his memory of those couple of days. Um, they think what had happened, he, he'd been at a skate park with his bike, uh, and they think that uh, possibly someone had tried to steal his bike and maybe punched him in the process. Uh, it must have been an awful thing. But you know what? We get identity amnesia when we forget that, that we are God's children. We are God's chosen ones who He loves. So David says, No. Know that the Lord has set the faithful apart for Himself. Now, why is this so important? Why do we need to know this? Because of what follows it. Have a look at the verse again. Know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for Himself. The Lord will hear when I call to Him. See, when you know that God has chosen you and God has set you apart, that is what gives you confidence that he will hear your call and your cry to him. Um, Here's how Charles Spurgeon put it when he was reflecting on this verse. He says, Since he chose to love us, he cannot but choose to hear us. Since he chose to love us, He cannot but choose to hear us. When I read this verse, the image that comes to my mind is the image of first-time parents. Uh, Now, I actually became an uncle for the first time. Uh, About a week ago, my my sister gave birth to a beautiful little baby girl named Brianna. Uh, Now, if I know my sister and my brother-in-law well, uh, I think they're probably going to be very similar to some of the other first-time parents I know. Um, I stayed at their house last weekend uh, while they were still in the hospital with the baby and I actually slept in what's going to be the baby's room and I saw they've got their baby monitor in there ready to go and I can just imagine they're going to be carrying that baby monitor with them all around the house whenever they step out of the baby's room, whenever um, uh, the baby's out of sight, they're going to have that baby monitor with them and they're going to be ready listening to the cry of their little baby girl and the moment they hear her crying they're going to be in there in a flash and I can imagine, uh, maybe in a few weeks, or month's time, maybe when they go out on their first kind of date night or something, leaving the baby behind with a babysitter for the first time. Um, I think they might be like some of my other friends who who take a uh, baby cam with them on their phone, and, you know, they're nervous about leaving their, their little child behind and not quite sure the babysitter's up to the job, so... They're having their romantic dinner, but they've got baby cam on their mobile, kind of watching everything that's happening and checking in on the babysitter and ready to rush home the moment they see that something might not be quite right. But, but you know what? That's how God describes, that's how the Bible describes God's love for us. He, he the Bible describes God as a, a loving father, a father who loves us dearly, who is listening to our call and who is ready to respond And to hear us. And so we need to know that when we're lying in our bed at night time, tossing and turning, feeling anxious about the future or angry about the past or uncertain. We can cry out to God, knowing that like a parent is tuned to the sound of of their child's cry. God is tuned to the sound of our cries and our calls to him and knowing that he's ready to respond in a flash so david tells us know that god hears you and then he continues and he gives us our second key word trust trust in god have a look at verses four and five be angry and do not sin on your bed reflect in your heart and be still offers sacrifices in righteousness, and trust in the Lord. I think that trust is the key word that ties those two verses together. When we know that God hears our calls and our cries to Him, we can entrust the situation to Him. And in these verses, David is showing us that when we entrust the situation to God, it changes the way that we respond to the situation. And particularly, it changes the way that we respond to those people who might be our adversaries or those people who might be out to get us. Look at that first line there in verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Now, just notice those words. Be angry. It's okay to face into the mess and the pain and the hurt and the brokenness of the day, it's okay to face that squarely and to be angry about it. That's okay. But David says, in your anger, do not sin. It's so easy to justify sin when we're angry, isn't it? We think, oh, well, he made me do it. Oh, well, what I'm doing isn't as bad as what she did to me. Oh, well, you know, he started it. I don't know about you, but when I'm angry, I can just get such narrow focus, and I just kind of get tunnel vision, and, and all I can see is what's right in front of me, and, and I'm so wrapped up in my hurt and in my wounded pride, and, and all of a sudden, all kinds of things um, seem permissible and acceptable that I wouldn't have thought were permissible at other times. All kinds of things suddenly become justifiable. But instead of allowing our anger to become an excuse for sin, David is calling us to respond in a different way, a different way of dealing with our anger, which is the way of trust in God. On your bed, reflect in your heart and be still. Offer sacrifices in righteousness and trust in the Lord. As you're lying there in your bed, take a deep breath. Stop. Be still and turn your mind to God. Call out to him. Share your anger with him. Share your hurt with him. And then entrust the situation to him. See, our anger becomes sin when we decide that we need to take things into our own hands. When we decide that we need to be the ones to get vengeance. That we need to be the ones to ensure that justice is done. But we need to remember the words of verse 1 of this psalm. Have a look in the second line. It's God who vindicates me. It's God who vindicates me. God is the judge. It's not my job to vindicate myself. That's God's job. And so that means I don't have to take everything into my own hands. But instead, instead I can give it to him and trust that he knows what he's doing. Um, Here's what Eugene Peterson, the American author, said about these few lines. What is wrong with the world is God's business. God is giving help at a far deeper level than any of your meddling will ever reach. I find that a comforting thought. Now, does this mean that when things go wrong, um, when other people have done wrong by you, when other people have hurt you, does this mean that, that we just sit back passively, necessarily, and just uh, let them get away with it? Well, no, not, not necessarily. In that kind of situation, we'll seek wise counsel. We'll, we'll go to friends and, and ask for advice and for support. We'll turn to God in prayer and ask Him for wisdom, and then we'll respond to the situation in a way that's appropriate. But when you're doing that from a place of trust in God, you will do it very differently. You'll respond knowing that it's not your prerogative to set the world right and to ensure that justice is done. You'll do what's right. And you'll do what you can do, which in many situations may not be very much. And then you will let go and entrust the outcome to God. David says, know that God hears you. Place your trust in him, entrust the situation to him, and then that you will and then you will find that you can rest in his care. Have a look with me at verses seven and eight. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their new wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. Can you feel how David's tone has shifted? The start of the psalm was was restless and frustrated, and you can just imagine him lying in bed and tossing and turning as he's praying these words. But now at the end of the psalm, his words carry this sense of stillness and, and peace, this sense of rest. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. Now, I just want us to notice something about verse 7. Have a look at that. You've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and new wine abound. The implication of those words is that perhaps my grain and my new wine might not abound. Perhaps things won't work out. So well for me Perhaps I will continue to face The trials and the difficulties See God doesn't promise To give us a life free from difficulties or, or to magic away the trials God doesn't promise that But what he does Promise is that he will Be with us in those difficulties And what he does promise Is that he will be at work For our good And what he does promise, as we see there in verse 7, is that he offers us a a quality of joy and a type of joy that nothing else in this world can match. And, you know, we know this as well from the life of Jesus, don't we? As I was reflecting on this psalm this week, I just wondered whether Jesus took comfort and solace in this psalm in the days and hours leading up to his death. Jesus knew what it was like to have his honor insulted. Jesus knew what it was like to be falsely accused. Jesus knew what it was like to be unjustly slandered, to suffer at the hands of men. He was the, the one perfect sinless man who ever lived, and yet he he died uh, as a criminal, executed on a cross. But we know, we know that in that terrible moment, in that moment when Even his disciples who were watching on must have just thought that everything had gone wrong and all hope was lost and that the plan had totally derailed. We know that even in that moment, God was at work. God wasn't absent. God was present and he was at work for our good, making a way for us through even the death of his son for us to come to him. And you know, as I reflect on this psalm, the interesting thing is that At the end of this psalm, the situation for David hasn't changed one bit. These people are still out to get David. They're still maliciously slandering him. Nothing has changed. David's still lying in bed. He hasn't gone out to fix the situation. He hasn't called them up to make amends. The situation hasn't changed. But David has changed. The trial hasn't gone away. But David's now looking at the trial very, very differently. He's not restless anymore. He's at rest. So what do you do? What do you do on those restless nights when you can't get to sleep? What do you do on those nights where you're, you're anxious or worried about the future, where you're angry about things that have happened when you've been hurt, when things have gone wrong, and you're staring at the ceiling and sleep won't come, what do you do? Do you do what I do and um, try and get up and watch TV or read a book, uh, make a cup of tea? For years, you know, I used to uh, make myself green teas at nighttime when I couldn't sleep because I thought they had no caffeine in them. But it turns out it does. So that was that was counterproductive. Do you count sheep, perhaps? What do you do on those nights? Do you pray? Do you pray? Do you cast your cares and your concerns on God? Do you turn to Him in those moments? Perhaps next time you're having one of those restless nights, you could pull out Psalm 4 and use this as a guide and as a pattern for your own prayer. Cry out to God be honest lay it all bare before him you don't have to hold anything back and remember David's words of counsel know that God hears your calls and cries to him know that he loves you the way a father loves his child and he is listening to the sound of your voice and ready to respond Put your trust in him and entrust the situation and the outcome of the situation to him. He's big enough. He can take care of it. And then take a deep breath and find your rest in him. I will both lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, Lord. Make me live in safety.